Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. As I've shared with you a number of times, I am a country bumpkin at heart. I did grow up in a country road with a dirt driveway. And I don't know if you've ever been on a drive out west. We did this this summer. And you're going down one of these roads in Kansas. And you'll be going down the highway. And then next to the highway, there's a dirt road and some dude in a jalopy passing you on the highway. Like his, it's like this big cloud of dust and dirt. You know what I'm talking about? Have you been there before you've seen this? That's kind of the street that I grew up on. I mean, it was paved, but it was like, I mean, people come just hauling down the, dri- down the road. And I, we had a long driveway that you would come up to the top of it and you kind of turn around at the top. And, uh, and so we were never allowed to play in our driveway at this one corner because people, if they came to visit us, they would just come flying up the driveway at 30 miles an hour in a cloud of dust. And if you were standing at the top, you know, playing in the sandbox, you could be in a world of hurt. Uh, for instance, in the winter, too, it was a steep driveway, and so uh, in the winter you would come up and you'd have to get a, a big running start to go up that hill in the snow. And, and if you came up too fast, I remember when I was first driving at 16, I put my, my car kind of in the middle of the lawn. You just kind of, you couldn't slow down after you got to the top. And I just closed the door and went in the house and just dealt with it in the morning because at that point you're there and that was the important part. But we weren't allowed to play in the driveway. Uh, we had, it was kind of cut out banks on both sides, and so as I got a little bit older and really started to get into biking, I learned about uh, watching Tony Hawk and other guys in these like half pipe, and so I felt like our driveway was, the, uh, was like a natural half pipe. We would ride down the one bank, across the driveway, and up the other bank on the other side, and I would constantly get in trouble. You're not allowed to play in the driveway. I was like, but mom, it's a half pipe. Can you see it? But right next to the driveway, we had this tree, and we called it the caterpillar tree. Every spring, for some reason, there was thousands of caterpillars that would just climb, and I don't know if it was something about the bark, I don't know anything about what type of tree that was, because in my mind, it's a caterpillar tree. And so there was caterpillars all over it, and at some point, they would turn into butterflies. Most of us have seen a time lapse. If you haven't seen one, I did it this week just to, to look at it again, like of what happens when a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. First, you've got this caterpillar that's just kind of moving along. It's like an, a worm inching along and eating the little stuff and just like slow and methodical. And you're really glad that you have this time lapse because you can't believe how slow it's awkwardly laboring to cover these short, short distances. And it's making its way across. But then when the caterpillar, as it's growing, gets to be about two inches in length, it just kind of stops eating. It's been gorging itself, and it attaches itself to the branch. And once secured, it kind of hangs there, and all of a sudden you get this cocoon-looking thing that, that builds itself around the caterpillar. It's green in shape, and, or green in color, and just this, like, ball hanging off of the thing. And actually, if you look at it in the time-lapse, you see... The, the thing is like gyrating and moving around. There's something going on inside of this cocoon. But to the outside, it's just a, you know, just a ball. And then over time, as things change, it, it's about a 14-day transformation that happens. About 12 days in, all of a sudden, that green cocoon starts to change color and change. Uh, it becomes transparent and all of a sudden translucent and then all translucent and then transparent. And you can see inside of it, there is this butterfly. And the butterfly breaks itself away around day 14, and, and you got this new kind of wet butterfly, and it kind of shakes its wings out and stretches itself out. And the next thing you know, if you're in the still frame, all of a sudden, it's gone. And I think in, in a very real way, I experienced that as a kid. We had the caterpillar tree. 
We never called it the butterfly tree because there was never any butterflies there. The minute that they would change over, they were gone. So we always saw caterpillars. We very rarely saw, you know, butterflies weren't there hanging around. They, they had transformed. They had moved on. This was not their space anymore. They had a much bigger area to work in. It's one of the wonders of the world that God has given such a drastic transformation. You can see it visually if you ever watch and, and look at it. You can see now this butterfly. If there was a butterfly in this room right now, I guarantee that none of you would pay any attention to me. You'd all be watching this magnificent creature flit and flutter about like they're just beautiful. And they just move around in such a neat way and they attract our attention. Everything about it has changed. You can't take your eyes off of it. What if you and I went through this type of dramatic and drastic change, to be changed from the slow-moving, methodical uh, life that a caterpillar lives to being changed in the ever-changing world of a butterfly and how they move through life. It looks entirely different at every moment compared to where they were before on the caterpillar tree. It's just the same thing day after day after day. What if you were able to conquer the sin cycle uh, that, that Satan puts on us and the accompanying accusations that Satan will put on us and you would experience instead the freedom of living this life without that burden on your shoulders. To be more than you once were through the extraordinary inner work of the Spirit of God. The Bible says that this miraculous inside-out change should be the experience of every one of us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what has happened. You have been transformed. You have been changed. The word is metamorphosis. As God has changed your mind, the renewing of your mind, you have formed metamorphosis, completely changed to something different. So the question I'm going to ask this morning is, when you know who you are, then you know what to do. Who do you think you are? When you know who you are, then you know what to do. Who do you think you are? We've been in this series, we're just getting started. It's called Better Together. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 4 today. If you'd like to open your Bibles and turn there, I hope you have your own copy of God's Word. If not, in the pews in front of you, you there's a Bible there. Uh, we're we're going to be preaching from the New International Version because that's what you have in your pews. So I want to be able to keep consistent with us there. Uh, if you're more of the person that wants to thumb your way through on your iDevice or whatever that is, you know, the U version is a good version to use. If you don't have a Bible, that Bible that's in the pew, you're welcome to take that with you. Or we've got more in the back, you can take those with you as well. Find your way to the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we talked last week that church is a team sport. Church is a team sport. We are one. You, we are united. We were designed. We are to be better together. And I hope that you were encouraged by that. If you were here uh, last week, and just say, you know what, we are connected together and God has made us that way. The church is his plan. It is plan A and there is no plan B and you're looking at it. And so I hope that you are encouraged to be here as part of that. We are each an individual piece of the body that's knit together in love. This can't help us draw closer together. God has called us to join the body of Christ and that's why we're here today. So the author, uh, Paul here, has set the big picture of the unity of, going, uh, unity of the body. And we, as we move through chapter 4, we've seen that. But today he's going to deal with some other things as well. As we talk about unifying the body, I think that there's a, a neat thing. I, I do come from a musical background, and so I like to think through these things sometimes. You can be in almost any room anywhere, 
and you can hear all kinds of different, any worship space, I'll say that, you hear all kinds of different music. You could go overseas, you could go to different parts of the state, you could go to different parts of our country, and there's, there's a number of songs for a worship leader to choose from, thousands and thousands and thousands of songs. If we were only using a hymnal, uh, there's hundreds of songs that we could choose from, and there's different pockets of the population will kind of lean towards one segment of songs or another. But there's something about the song Amazing Grace that just seems to, to transcend all of that. Amazing Grace is a song that carries no matter what the congregation is, how old, how young, how, uh, how they, they may not even know English, but they know this song. So to demonstrate the unity of the body of the Christ, we're going to sing this together. Will you sing with me? Amazing Grace, sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Hey, that was good. Nice job, everyone. How many of you had to look that up in your hymnals this morning? None of you. Because it's something that unifies us. It's an, an anthem that connects us all together. And so we're going to use that amazing grace as kind of a, a framework of who do you think that you are. Uh, Paul is to talk about our lives, to show it, to demonstrate. He says it's, it's okay for you to have a changed life, but it had better demonstrate itself in some way. You better be able to notice that there's a difference. There's supposed to be a makeover, a metamorphosis that has happened here. Uh, you should no longer be crawling around like a caterpillar because you are a butterfly. Who do you think you are? Point number one, I once was lost. I once was lost. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Beginning in verse 17, it says this. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge themselves in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. I once was lost. This was who you were. You were in the dark. You were separated from God with every option available to you ultimately being futile is what he says here. Futility. The Gentiles are living in futility. Those who don't know who God is. There's a strong indwelling disposition in all of us that what we want is actually, we actually believe it's more important than what God wants. We make decisions every day that say, you know what, God, thanks for being there, thanks for what you've done, but I got this one. I'm going to do this one my way. I'm going to do it that way. Because why? Uh, we are lost. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, it says in Isaiah. We are lost. We go out and we go our own way. And that is still there. That nature is still there that pulls us and draws us away. Why? Because we were once lost. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. 21. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in the accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. 
Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteousness and in holiness. I think that everyone today and in that culture and any time that reads this scripture, when you, when you read this putting off of the old self and putting on of the new, that there's this uh, connection to clothing because of the vocabulary that's being used, this, this taking off and the putting on. And it's not uncommon for people to use that type of terminology when we're talking about uh, virtuous behavior, to put off hatred and put on love or put it on like clothing. But actually what Paul is saying here is, is more than that. He's not saying put off that behavior. He's actually saying put off your old self with all of its corruptions, all of its addictions, all of its negative behavior and put on your new self, which is created to be like God in righteousness and in holiness. You see, what we default to is self-absorption. What we default to is selfishness. There's always going to be some expression or either making ourselves feel good or actually feeling good about ourselves. We like to make ourselves feel good or pat ourselves on the back and feel good about ourselves. It's in our culture. It's all around us. It's in our normal behaviors every day. The easiest and maybe big target, but that's what it is, is Burger King. Their slogan is what? Have it, have it your way. And that sums up in a lot of ways what our culture and, and who you and I really are. At the end of the day, you say, yeah, you know what? I should have it my way. And some of you are sitting in the pews this morning, and there was a situation you came through here today, and in the back of your mind, what really happened was you made the decision, you said, you know what? I think I should have it my way. So, if we are living like the Gentiles, Paul says here, that's futile. Futility is where that comes. Uh, those you are living, you're living like people who are not part of God's family. If you look back on your life, and Paul's asking us to do that here, remember how it was. It says, it was always about you. You were all making decisions that were central to you, selfish in nature. That was the way you were, of either making yourself feel good or feeling good about yourself. Again, those two kind of framework kind of puts it all together. But again, to ask that question, when you know who you are, then you know what you are to do. Who do you think you are? I once was lost, but now I'm found. But now I'm found. Picking up in verse 25. Therefore. Anytime you see therefore in Scripture, you've heard this before. When you see therefore, you wonder, what is it there for? Well, if you look back, what we just, the section we just read, this I once was lost, that's the framework that gives us the, the framework of why he's going to say what he's about to say. If all of this is true, then therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We're going to talk about some of the behaviors of the new body. Now that I'm found, the new man has found truth. There must be complete truthfulness if healthy communication is going to take place within the body of Christ. We have found truth. At first class, you say, you know what, wait a minute. That's not my default. I'm not, I'm not lying to people. I'm not walking around and just being dishonest. But we do fear confrontation. We say, well, I don't really want to cause any trouble, so I'm not going to bring that up. Or, or because we're afraid if our f real feelings were exposed about a situation or a person's behavior, if we actually said what we believed, maybe, maybe that relationship might suffer. And so we fail to speak the truth. 
Paul uses the analogy of the body here. If you get leprosy, your hand no longer is even there or no longer can communicate back with the mind, with the rest of the body. That, that piece of your body is no longer attached. The body is damaged. It is broken. It cannot communicate truthfully with your brain. Now, none of us have had leprosy before, but it was something that was common there. And so when, when Paul is talking about leprosy, he's talking, or when he's talking about the body, that's, that's what you're up against. Is if you were to become a leper, you no longer, your, your limbs are no longer connected back to the body. They are separated. And if they don't communicate truthfully back and forth to each other, they're giving poor signals back and forth to each other. Uh, you can actually, if you have leprosy, you could actually put your hands in a fire or burn your hands on a stove and never know it or never realize it because that communication stream is broken. For healing and connection and correction to take place, there must be truthful communication. To plaster over our true thoughts and our feelings and put on a mask of what we think is healthy behavior, what we think that we're supposed to be doing, it's actually more destructive to do that than it is, as we see in Scripture, to speak truth in love. It's more destructive to do that. I'm not suggesting that you go out and be ruthlessly honest with people and just come at them at every some of you are like waiting for that chance. You're like, oh, I'm going to tell them. I've been waiting all week long. I'm going to tell them now. Pastor Milo says I can. No. The motive is not to get the upper hand. The motive is biblical love to seek the highest good for the fellow believers in the body of Christ. Verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on you while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I once was lost, but now I'm found. The new man has found a proper anger. The new man has found a proper anger. Now, you would think as you're looking at this section and dealing with it, you're saying, wait a minute, proper anger, like, like maybe the word not should go next to it. But actually there are some proper anger things that we need to deal with in the local church. Paul's implying that there are some things that are actually worse than anger in the church. And that would be indifference, not caring what someone else is doing. If, if you deeply care for someone and they are repeatedly in sin and they are repeatedly doing the behaviors of the old man when they were lost and you don't speak up, you don't interact and you don't move, then indifference shows that you do not love like Jesus loves. Indifference says you do not care. There are some things to be properly angry about. But, he quickly adds, be careful when you get angry about someone's sin, it's easy to cross the line into sinful anger of your own. So be careful. So don't do that. In your anger, do not sin. And don't let it fester for days on end, he says. Deal with it. Deal with it in that day before the sun goes down so that you don't have time to grow bitter within yourselves. Deal with it. There's a proper way to deal with it. Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I once was lost, but now I'm found. The new man has found life or has found living in giving. The new man has found living in giving. The old man is motivated by that, what's best for me? That selfish behavior. However, the new man is not lazy and self-centered. The new man works hard in order to give to others. And in doing so, he finds life in that. He looks for the needs of others. He's always got his eyes open and he tries to meet those needs, even if it means hard, hard work for himself. 
Why? Because he's not in relationship for what he can get out of it, but for what he can give. Christ followers need to be honest, hardworking people who are oriented towards giving, not towards taking. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may be beneficial to those who listen. I once was lost, but now I'm found. The new man has found healthy ways to communicate. Scripture calls it unwholesome talk, or some versions say rotten speech. It includes name-calling and sarcasm, ridicule, mockery, gossip, slander, blaming, destructive criticism, angry words, threats of revenge, griping, complaining, lying, profanity, and filthy talk or dirty jokes. Words whose purpose is to wound, not to heal, to divide rather than unify. The new man has found healthy ways to communicate. We are to replace destructive words that tear down with constructive words that build up. A good rule of thumb is if you are, if it's painful for you to criticize someone, you're probably getting close to the behavior that you need. But if you take the slightest pleasure in it, if you're just waiting for that opportunity to criticize that person, you need to check your spirit. You need to check your spirit. If it's painful for you to come to and say, this, is, this has been bothering me, and I know that this, this is, is a, a, a chance in our relationship that this could go one way or the other, you might be pretty close to what your heart should be. But instead, oftentimes, we, look at, we, we, we relish the opportunity to get that zing in or get that opportunity to just let them have it. That's not the motivation for a Christ father. The motivation should be to help the other person to mature in the spirit of unity and to mature in Jesus Christ. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. I once was lost, but now I'm found. The new man has found safety and security. Our motives should not be to grieve God. The Holy Spirit here is grieved, but instead to positive, we want to please him. We need to remember that, that the Holy Spirit is a person that can be grieved. It's not a, a being that is an impersonal force. No, it's, it's actually a person of the Trinity that says here we can grieve him. And at salvation, he sealed us for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit himself is our seal, God's personal mark of ownership on you and on me. And our eternal security is intact because of what he has done. And because Jesus has done through the Holy Spirit, we should find tremendous safety in that. Our security, that day of redemption, is all sealed because of what the Holy Spirit has done. So don't do things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't do things that pull you away from that. Why? Because that's what you did once you were, when you were lost. But now you are found. You've been, you've been found. You've been changed You are new. You have been renewed. There's a metamorphosis that has taken place. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Point number three, was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. About four years ago, I had LASIK surgery. Have you had this operation procedure before? 
So prior to the surgery, I had 2130 vision. That was my eyesight. After post LASIK surgery, I now have 2015. So I, it's, it was fantastic. It was wonderful. Uh, if you've ever had it or if you're considering it, what they do is they bring you into the clinic and they allow you to uh, sit. And if you want, you can look through the glass and watch someone go through the procedure. It's about a 10 to 15 minute procedure and that's it. So those of you who have been blind, seemingly blind for your whole life, you can't see you know, the alarm clock at night. That was the way it was for me. That was the worst for me. I don't know what time it is or what's going on. You come in, you see, you say, wow, in 15 minutes... I'll be able to, you know, come out of this thing and, and I won't have to wear glasses again or contacts. And this is, this is the deal. This is what I want to do. So they set up the appointment. So I went in and did like the preview thing like on a Wednesday or Thursday. I said, we'll, we'll bring you in Friday morning, like tomorrow. Man, that's right away. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so I came in. They show you a little video in a little side room, and they tell the video shows all of the things that they're going to do. They let you know. The video is probably longer than the procedure itself, and then they have these little subtitles of, oh, and by the way, you could go blind. <laughs> and I did have my glasses on, so I did see that one kind of fly through. <laughs> so it's like, Okay. But I'm going for it. We're going through with it. You know, we got the insurance money together and all that. We're going through with this. So I go and I, you know, they asked if I would be willing to have the blinds open so that if anyone else wanted to see the procedure, they could see it. I said, yeah, it's fine. They can look in and see it. And then they put you in the thing and, and you lay down. And I, again, this is what, I'm telling you what they don't tell you at the procedure. If you happen to be a Lasix doctor, I apologize for what's about to happen. So you lay down. And they say, you know, just as a precaution, we're going to put your hands in these straps. I thought, wow. <laughs> and, and by the way, your head is going to be in a vice to make sure. Now, granted, they're going to shoot a laser into your face. You need to make sure that it's going into the spot that you want it to go into. But they put your head into a vice, and then out of the sky drops a suction cup thing. And they grab a hold of your eyeball with a suction cup. <laughs> Sign me up, someone says. And at that point, now they got you. And I was no longer as happy-go-lucky. Like, I didn't realize, I, I mean, I was, you know, getting a little bit ang anxious. They could tell I was probably white-knuckling and, and pulling against those things and, like, and so they had a nurse come over to my shoulder and tell me everything was going to be okay. And I didn't believe a word she was saying. And, <laughs> and so then you, you see the laser, the thing. They say, we're going to make a cut here. And you, they make the cut. And there it is. And then you smell that your face just burned off. And then they say, for about 8 to 10 seconds, you'll be momentarily blind. And I said, what? Because they're going to pull back the flap, and then they're going to do something or other, and then they'll put the flap back. I have 2015 vision, and I'm glad I got LASIK surgery. But my goodness, that was the scariest 10 minutes of my life, probably. That's as close as I know anything about being blind, all of 8 to 10 seconds. That's all that I know about actually being 
blind. In Scripture, we see Jesus with blind Bartimaeus. When we say, uh, I'm blind, but now I see. In, in Mark chapter 10, verse 48, I'll just jump there for you. Uh, he's been calling out to Jesus from the crowd, and it says, uh, Many rebuked him, this is Bartimaeus, and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, and he looks at him, and he says, Call him over here. So they called the blind man, and the people around him says, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. This blind man had a cloak. This cloak designated him as a blind man. It was almost like a permit for him to be a beggar. It allowed him to be in that location. Uh, they would issue him out to the blind, to, the, to those who were withered or lame. And this would identify him as a true beggar rather than a con man trying to get your money. And so he had this cloak and identify him. The blind man, as, as Jesus came, what do you want from me? The, the blind man says, I want to see. And he throws his cloak away. I do not need that anymore. I'm throwing it away. Verse 50 says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This morning, that's the same thing that Paul is talking about when, he, when he's saying to throw aside the old man, to throw aside that clothing, to step away from it. So what cloak is it that you need to throw aside so that you can see Jesus? Back in Ephesians 4 verse 31, this is the cloak you need to throw aside. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along of every form of malice. What's the new cloak you are to put on instead? What are you going to be identified by? Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ, God, forgave you. The new man has thrown away all that divides and finds tremendous values in actions that unite He says, I'm done with that old way. I am blind, but now I see you see, we are all members of one body. That's why he does that. We are all members of one body. We are new. We are no longer caterpillars. Uh, we are new. We are a new creation. We have, we have been formed into something different. We are better together. Together, we want to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And we will guard each other from deception. Together, we want to imitate the character of Christ. And we will guard each other from division. Together, we want to display the fullness of Christ. And we will guard one another away from distraction. We are better together. We are new. Now, last week we introduced it to you. Some of you had seen this before. Very practically speaking, we are trying to find a way to help us be better together as a church. We call them the care corridors. And there's, there's sheets of paper in the back on the way out. And if you were here last week, I'll tell you that they've been updated since last week. We're trying to do a better job of being able to take care of one another. So we've, we've looked at our area and looked at the geography and said, okay, if this is where our people are at and this is where the needs are, how can we better meet them? And so what we've done is we've assigned four deacons and one elder to a, what we're calling a care corridor. 
of about 12 to 24 families in that area. This is not a members-only list by any means. Uh, we added names to the list this week of people who are not members of this congregation, and so those names are on the list, and we've fixed up some names there that were incorrect and those type of things. We are better together. If we're a church who realizes that we are new, we are no longer people who have the behaviors of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, and malice, but no, we're going to be a church that's kind and compassionate to one another, then we have to find a way to actually take care of one another. And that's the root behind this of saying if we're going to be unified as a church, we have to find a practical way to do that. If you've heard us talk about the care corridors for a little while, good. If not, what it means is that at least once a year, and in an emergency or other situations, it'll be more than that, but at least once a year, that an elder will be in contact with you to talk with you about spiritual condition of your home. What's going on in your home? How can we be praying for you? What are some of the needs that you have? And four times a year, you've got those deacons. So quarterly, uh, deacons and deaconesses will be making contacts, talking about what are some physical needs that you have. Uh, Miss Betty Gailey talked to me this week, and we talked about a physical need that she has. She's got two cords of wood that were delivered in her driveway yesterday, and she needs some strong young men or women to stack the wood up because she's not going to do it. <laughs> so that's a physical need. That's a one-time physical need that can be met. And so there's people working on that. If you would love to do that and help in that way, that's, there's a commercial for you right there. Betty Gailey's in the back, and she would love to talk to you, wouldn't you, Miss Betty? But that's a physical need. And there's spiritual needs. But there's also needs in the community as well. And when you start to open up your eyes and realize, wait a minute, we all live in this area together and we're all working on this together and we are new, we are changed, we are no longer that, then all of a sudden we move like a butterfly, not like a caterpillar. We start to reach out in different ways and make our way around the community and we start to see the love of Christ transform lives. That's what it's all about. So as the band comes back up, I want to ask you just a couple of questions as we close. Where do you stand? Do you feel as you are part of the member of the body of Christ? We are one body. We are new. This morning, maybe you'd say, I want to cry out to Jesus today to save me from my sins and make me a Christian. I need to get to that point. Because what you're talking about sounds foreign to me. But I think that's a family that I would like to be part of. And I'll tell you that this church... My family, the extended family, we would love to welcome you into the family. Be able to say, this is what it looks like when a church is actually living out what Scripture teaches us and, and being the body of Christ. And we invite you in. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But that's it. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the body of Christ, and you can call yourself a child of God. Secondly, maybe you're here this morning and you need to throw aside the cloak. Say, so you know what? I have been living a life wearing this cloak. Now that that blind man didn't need that cloak anymore. His, his eyesight was changed forever. Bartimaeus no longer was blind Bartimaeus. He was Bartimaeus. And he would live the rest of his life without that cloak. And for some reason, you and I keep putting the cloak back on and say, well, I, I know that I can see now, but I kind of liked the way that I was before. And you keep putting on the old man. Paul says today, throw it aside. Thirdly, what Bartimaeus did, he jumped to his feet and he followed Jesus. Some of you are, are, are no longer wearing the cloak perhaps, but are you really pursuing hard after God? 
Is that your ultimatum? Is, are you finding living in giving that your life is all about helping and motivating others to follow him? Because that's not only for the elite few, I hope that you understand that. That's not for the extraordinary. That is for the ordinary, everyday Christian life. It is our responsibility to live out and to go out and to follow Jesus as much as we possibly can. And do it in every way that we can. So dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. It challenges us this morning. Lord, there are many here who need to throw off the old cloak to... to shed the clothing of the past, the old man when they were lost, because they've been found, Lord. And we thank you that you come after the sheep and you bring us all in. And Lord, so as a, as, a, as a congregation, Lord, we pray that we would live our lives in such a way that would demonstrate this life change, this transformation, this metamorphosis. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would be welcomed into the family of God. God, challenge us to pursue hard and to follow hard after you in all that we do. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing a song. I will be in the back. I do that each week. Uh, the attention, you can stand. The attention will be focused up here at the front. And so it gives us an opportunity to talk real briefly. If you'd like to talk about any of the stuff that we've discussed this morning, I'd love that opportunity. <clears throat>